Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law, and with me as always, DJ Mark. What's up? And also joining us this week, the legend himself, Lavender Gooms. Hello, guys. Um, no strange happies today, because today doesn't need any, just happy Martin Luther King Day. Right on. Fucking the one week where I like had a thing. Like I had a bounce off mic for you. He like was ready to roast it you. was gonna be not even roast him. He was gonna be like, "It's this day. It's that day. It's this day." And then I was gonna say, "You miss one, buddy. It is UFC Heavyweight Champion Independence Day because Francis Ngannou is no longer a UFC fighter, no longer the mm-hmm. UFC Heavyweight Champion. Hell, right now there is no UFC Heavyweight Champion, which fits well with there not being a UFC Light Heavyweight Champion either." True. What percentage of belts do not have a holder right now? I mean, those two don't have a holder. Um, who's the who's the the bantamweight champion's about to go get uh surgery, so we're gonna need an interim mm-hmm. one there. Who's the flyweight champion? We got two of those. We got two flyweight champions right yeah, now. We're about to eliminate. We got a feather. We got a women's featherweight champion still. And you know, no no contenders. So everything's going fine. Um. Hmm. Yeah, we're gonna talk about folks. We got. Let's give you a rough idea um, of uh, what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about Francis Ngannou, who um, after meeting with um, wife beater Dana White, um, is no longer a UFC fighter. No contract was found. Uh, we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about how the new heavyweight title fight is gonna be uh, domestic abuser John Jones, drunk driver John Jones, steroid cheat John Jones taking on. Surreal Gon, who just does a mark, just a wonderful Nate Diaz impersonation. Like <laughs> very true. That, that was, was really great. the highlight. Mike, did you see this? Did I send this to you? No, no. I thought I did. Th- like he just did a Nate Diaz impersonation, which was just like he kind of just stuck his chin up and said like "fuck you." He, he did, and he did like the <laughs> fist. He, did, like, he was he posing the for a picture. Yeah, and then he like said like "fuck you," and I was like, "What?" Well, that the three well, checkpoints. They, they had a little. They had a little bit. Yeah, you know, planned out because the guy behind the camera is like, "Oh, oh." Oh, Nick, how you doing? How you doing? He's like, fuck you, man. <laughs> and then he turns around and flips off somebody else. It was, it was good. It was impressive. Honestly, I imagine. Sorry, Mark. Yeah, I was going to say, I imagine Nick saw it and I think he would approve. Yeah. Um, That's pretty good stuff. Um, We're going to talk about that. Now we're going to talk about Dana White's um weird press conference. The first one and second one was a little more interesting because he's like, wait, wait, you guys are still able to ask me questions. I thought I addressed all this. Um. Notably talking, of course, about him slapping his wife on camera. If it makes you people feel better, he got hit first. Hit, and then I'll just say this on the other side. Him slapping his wife on camera three times. Um, and, you know, the White Power Slap League starts this week and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, 
You guys didn't like it when I called it that at first, but I feel the name is really great these days, okay? Well, I mean, at the point, it seemed like it was a little bit of a stretch. But now <laughs> I've, you know, with some time, I've grown to like it a little bit more. Context really plays key here. I mean, like, I mean, let's just fair warning to everybody. I know a lot of people want people want everybody to move on from the conversation about Dana White um, slapping his wife and all that. So, look, I mean, we told you we're going to talk about it at the first these, this part of the show. But you know what you guys can do? Like, if you aren't interested in hearing that, like, this is what you do. You take the app and you go hit unsubscribe and stop listening to this fucking show because we're going to talk about it. All right. Um, getting into it. Francis Ngannou. Um, we heard a lot of stuff during his last, uh, after his last fight or leading up to his last fight, Mike. And after his last fight, notably his fight, he fought with a torn ACL. Um, and still defended the fucking heavyweight championship of the world successfully after losing the first two rounds. Legend shit. Um, heard a lot of stuff where UFC threatened him, his manager at the time, the whole goddamn world. He's a piece of shit, yada, yada, yada. Because Francis had the audacity to say, hey, I'd like to be paid my worth. And hey, I'm an independent contractor, right? So I'd like him to go box a little bit too. Um, I think a lot of us, Mike, probably thought maybe we haven't heard anything in a while and Francis was nursing his rehab and the Tyson Fury fight maybe doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also, don't forget the fact that I think he had been at like one or two UFC events. Yeah. So I think we thought, oh, OK, so he he's going to be back soon. Yeah. I think we even talked about a Jones versus Francis uh potential fight this coming year didn't we we did in one of I, our i think in one of our predictions i think someone needs to pull up and see which one of us is about to be wrong it might be me i think i think it was me as well i mean Mar- i thought honestly those predictions were all up for grabs because uh i mean my i mean Mar- mark's mark's power slap stuff looked very much in jeopardy you know after the guy who's named after slapped his wife on camera too big to fail, Bobby. That's what power slap is. Too yeah. big to fail. Uh, Mike said John Jones, heavyweight champion, but stripped of the title after he's arrested. Ah, uh, all right, all right, good, good, good. I'm still in play. Um, <laughs> yeah, that could still very much happen. I said a current champion. I said Dana White no more. How foolish, man. Then again, I had I might have nothing to do with him slapping his wife. I just yeah, thought that. Before that. He, I just still thought before he's that gone. <laughs> um, if anything, he's in more powerful. Anyway, at the Mike, you got there where I was going with my question. We thought he was gonna probably he's probably resigning, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we got a whole bunch of news. Uh, I think it was yesterday or day before, maybe was it Saturday? I think it was Saturday. Um, where um, seems like we haven't come to an agreement, and uh, the UFC is not gonna match any offer and waive any of those rights, and Francis and can go wherever he wants, and um. As with anybody who can't do what the UFC or Dana White wants to do, we all know why they don't want to do these things, right, Mike? Money? Power? Oh no, they don't want to fight. Yeah, they just don't want to fight. Cats. <laughs> they just don't want to. They don't want to fight. <laughs> they don't want to fight. It, it seems to be a very, you know what? In no way is a coincidence. That people that have contract disputes with the UFC is not because of legitimate economic reasons or because of, you know, personal choice and wanting to do what they want to have contracts that are more like boxing contracts. No, no. It's because they're giant pussies and they don't want to fight anyone. Yes. Um, Mike, with the great transitional material from, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and quote um, MAGA-loving 
Eddie Alvarez here. But Eddie Alvarez noted, because uh, Dana was saying that, oh, he said, I think, believe he said, Francis Ngannou wants to face lesser competition. A lot. He said that a lot in that press. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't like the risk. He I didn't mean, want he didn't the like risk. the risk of having to beat a guy. To, but, you know, he didn't like the risk, but he definitely risked everything fighting on one leg. And you just put an interim title fight together where one of the guys in it is the guy he beat in that fight. And hey, he nuked the entire rest of the division. The entire rest of it. But yeah, mm -hmm. not doesn't worth the risk. Um, Eddie Alvarez said, nobody in the UFC is afraid of anyone. The men who fight there are there to fight the best. The UFC, only the men, Eddie? Jesus. Um, the UFC is afraid, to pay, is afraid to pay fighters. This is the only reason people leave. Fighters don't give a fuck who the next opponent is. They do care about the, what the pay will be. Keep it real and just say, say, we lost the bid. Someone is paying more and end it there. This is him saying what Dana should have said. It's mm -hmm. counterintuitive to pay fighters large purses because they become less cooperative and more dependent. The business works perfect when everyone is broke mm -hmm. and begging to fight at the drop of a hat. Cooperation is key. Large purses disrupt their own business. So Eddie Alvarez appeared to have explained the entire UFC business model there in the second half, guys. It feels uh, like. Eddie, Eddie Alvarez, well, he also no longer works for the UFC. I mean, he was trying to up until like this comment. They were trying to talk about him and. Remember, they were like, he was trying to talk his way back in to have that trilogy fight with Chandler. Yeah. Sounds like that offer he, wasn't so good. <laughs> well, he's, I, I think I remember hearing him say something about like, yeah, you know, like it, it's great to be in the big organization, but it doesn't pay the bills. Like, I think probably one is still paying him more. And I think, you know, knowing the little that we do about their contracts, there's potentially something where it's like, oh, you know, one, in, first and foremost, they're always bloated, right? It's always like, I'm sure Francis was 10, 10 fights in 10 years or something. I mean, they got John Jones decided to fight an eight fight deal just now. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's what they did with Anderson, right? Remember, remember when Anderson was like not looking as good and they were like, oh, it's going to be, was it seven fights or something? They gave him like a seven, eight fight deal and he fought every one of them. And yeah, we all thought like, he's not going to fulfill this contract. He'll just retire. And he, he did it. But like, that's, that's how they do contracts. Like they're, they, they may be worth, you know, a lot of money. And when he, Dana White goes out there and says, like, oh, Francis would have been the highest paying, you know, UFC heavyweight fighter of all time. It's probably because, like, well, yeah, he is. Oh, but it's over the course yeah. of so well, long. No, I, don't, I don't think that's what he meant. I think he meant per fight. And I still think it's a stupid fucking comment because, one, the guy we're comparing to is obviously Brock Lesnar. OK. Brock Lesnar mm -hmm. hasn't had a real UFC contract since 2011. Right. That is when he fought. Um. Alistair Overeem. What about uh, UFC 200? No, I'm saying that was a one-fight one? deal. And they probably oh, paid him. It. I'm telling you this right now. They did not pay Francis and Ngannou that much money. <laughs> okay, let's just say that. Okay, so they offered him Brock Lesnar money. Do you know what Brock... First of all, that was 10 years ago. Second of all, this company was not making this kind of money 10 years ago. Third of all, you know what other money Brock Lesnar got uh, uh, when he was fighting in the UFC, guys? Huh? Jack Link's money. Jack Link's money. Who else was? What was the other one, Marcus? Uh, I thought it was Jimmy John's, but both. I wasn't, I'm not. They're both on there. They're okay. both on the shorts. <laughs> yeah, things change there, buddy. Huh? That's your comparison, also, to like. But hey, the greatest hey, wrestling Francis, stars that ever existed. Yeah. <laughs> but Francis would get forty G's from Venom, right? It's like so, well, forty large, champion, right? baby. <laughs> well, that Crypto.com bonus is gone, so that's really all he's got to yeah, hope for that's now. True. We don't talk about that enough. The bonus is gone. That's just those crypto right there. The UFC got their money. 
The UFC got their money from crypto.com. <laughs> the fighters aren't getting their bonuses. Hey man, let's uh let's not let's not talk too much about upcoming bonuses and the field of crypto, right? Because I'm about to be real sad in like two weeks. Oh, I'm sorry, buddy. Um I think there was a Mandalorian trailer happening, by the way, just now while this happened. Uh, yeah, I was on Monday Night Football. They're yeah. supposed to show something. <sighs> Fucking cowboys. Um, all right. Um, so yeah. Um, they went up there and spit a bunch of bullshit. Um, the tale is all this time. Francis Ngannou doesn't want to fight. Um, the only thing we got so far is Eric Nixick, which is who's Anderson's, uh, I'm sorry, Anderson, Francis's coach, said, um, we met with Dana White and the guy who actually does the work over there, Hunter Campbell. That, that's my addition right there. Um, and after they had a meeting, Francis told Eric, if I do this and I sign this fi- contract, which gives me none of the things I asked for, um, and makes no changes at all. I'm just another sellout. Um, mm-hmm. I know me personally. I want to speak. I want to speak for the boys here necessarily. Have take has taken a very hard. Fuck it. I don't care about these fighters anymore and how much money they are or aren't making because uh, they all seem to be a bunch of maga twats. Um, per- stance. I will say I have all the respect in the world for Francis Ngannou, and I honestly, Mike. I think the man's literally taking a principled stance here. And what I think it comes from the fact of where this guy came from. When you hear his story, he doesn't need, you know, you're going to offer him 500 grand instead of 400 grand. That's not the point to him. That is not the point. A lot of respect for him, man. I don't know what else to say. I believe him. I truly believe that's his thing. I mean, I'm sure there's a number. Everybody's got one, but yeah. What do you think? There's... There's also the point that if you've been listening to Francis talk for the last, what, 13, 14 months, you would have suspected this was coming because, um, what, in the interview with Ariel he had in, what, December or Mm -hmm. November Mm -hmm. of, like, last year, two years ago now, Mm -hmm. um, he talked about that. It's about the freedom you know it's about Mm -hmm. being able to do what he wants to do and not being tied into you know an overly restrictive ufc contract so this fits in with that um uh as you mentioned i I don't think has it come out that they wouldn't offer him the ability to go do other things is that fine is that come out i mean they didn't come out but let's just come on man it's not on there. They're not going to open. They're not going to open Pandora's box there. Yeah, like I mean. he's he he's a man that's come from from nothing. Well, he was from I think Cameroon. He was yeah. poor in France, and I don't know how much money he has. I'm not about to count his pockets, but I've got to assume that he is more than financially stable. Yeah. At, at this point, and for him, it's about having his own agency, and the UFC wasn't offering that. He's 36 years old, too. I mean, I know we make the joke about heavyweight, but, like, he's 36 years old. Like, mm-hmm. in MMA, that's fine for a heavyweight. We can go go box. That's not a young boxer in heavyweight. He, he, could cook, he could go dominate one or Bellator and still be able to go do whatever he wants, right? I got to assume I mean, Scott Coker or... Whoever the other dude is that runs Chantry, one. you're ta- you're missing one of these cat- one of these things here, buddy. We, we, we can talk about it more maybe on a show that's less packed when we were going to guess where he's going to go, but PFL, man. PFL should, come for, PFL should come for him. They should come for Nate. They can get both those things. They can pull both of those off. I mean, look, I know I'm the one who said I 
partly convinced uh, PFL is just a money laundering operation. And I'm like, at this I point, that was one. <laughs> one, one is okay. One is PFL might be okay. One has to be. There's no other explanation for one. PFL is interesting. Just saying, interesting. But yeah, Mike, this guy came from nothing. Came from nothing. He worked in a sand quarry, a sand quarry at 10 years old, you know, to get out of, like, he, he got out, okay? He made it to France and, you know, with nothing. He showed up with nothing to Paris. He made it this far. And this bald-headed tomato fuck is going to be like, I'm going to give you the extra 50 grand. We got to get a deal done. Oh, you, he doesn't want, he's scared. That guy's scared, huh? That guy's scared, Mark? Huh? <laughs> this guy's, this is the one that's scared to fight, huh? This guy. Who hits well, like a, yeah, he I mean, hits people like they got run over by a Ford Escort. Like, what what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just that's just so atypical. Like when you gave us the post with all the articles where he basically says the same thing anytime you know mm-hmm. contracts he can't resign because, and it it's it's not like this is new business. Anyone that becomes champion for a long enough time, usually they start complaining about not getting their fair cut, right? And then Dana says, "Oh, they get played, they get paid plenty, yada yada yada." But it's not, you can see the commonality where it's like when these guys do become champions or become, you know, very popular and viable for the company, they start questioning, like, I don't feel like I'm pulling in the type of money I should be. The money I'm making is good. It's a good start for a reigning champion, but I want to see bigger points on the pay-per-views, right? I think that's usually largely where it comes down to is they're just not getting a biggest, big enough piece of the pie. But um, yeah, it's. And Francis, to his own regard, also kind of, you know, he, he put himself in a corner, right? He said, like, these are the things I'm fighting for. These are the things I want in a contract. Mm-hmm. We kind of knew, like, you're not going to get those things. And like you said, when we saw him showing up in more places, like, well, maybe they worked something out. Maybe they threw enough money at him that he would, you know, I was happy for him. I'm like, roster. oh, Francis must have gotten paid. I was like, for, good well, for him, bro. <laughs> we, we still want to see him fight. Yeah. You know, that hasn't changed at all. We want to see him fight John mm-hmm. Jones. I'd love to see him and gone fight again. I'd love to see how far Francis could be a dominant heavyweight champion because that's never happened. There has never been a heavyweight champion that has been yep. purely mm-hmm. dominant, you know, and it seemed like Francis had a lot of the makings to do that. And we won't know, but, you know, it, it, it is interesting to see potentially where he goes. It does seem like that fight with Tyson Fury has lost a lot of steam. So it is kind of like, well, well, I think Tyson's book too, ready, right? Tyson's gonna, they're trying, well, they gotta, they gotta book him and Usyk. They gotta book him and Usyk. What are we doing over there? But that's him and Fury. Yeah. And I, and I don't disagree. I think that's a more important fight to mm. the sport, but mm. it, it is what, what does Francis do? And I think a play for the PFL would make sense. They're trying to start a big super fight pay per view. And, you know, I said it when Jake Paul announced, you know, his uh, addition to the PFL, like their biggest problems, they don't have name value. Like, it's great that Jake went on there and said, like, oh, look at all these great fighters in PFL, but no one knows who the fuck they are. And it's not saying they're not credible. It's just saying they don't have the lip service. So you get Francis Naganu, the scariest heavyweight of all time on that league. That's a big get. Yeah, um, I actually think their biggest value is the fact that they're on ESPN already. Sure, yeah. By the way, I mean... PFL signing Jake Paul to needle Dana White on the same network Dana White is on is. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the PFL tweeting the NWO gif after Francis leaves. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> it is. That is a, that is, mwah, that is chef's kiss guys. All right. That's what that is. Um, so let's just recap here, Mike. Since September, 
the UFC has lost uh, their biggest free agent ever and second biggest pay-per-view. Honestly, biggest pay-per-view draw, and I was not injured. That's Nate Diaz. Lost him. Lost heavyweight champion. Seeing the president of the company slap a woman multiple times on camera. I mean, not, not a woman. Well, I mean, that's the his okay. wife. So I, that, his wife. It makes it a little worse. I mean, I don't exactly. think it mechanically changes what I'm saying here. But um, it makes it worse. Become embroiled in an FBI investigation into gambling. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. I forgot about that one. Have sports, have provinces and states no longer allow you to gamble on the sport. Okay. Sp- mm-hmm. Suspend that coach's entire gym. And on top of that, they couldn't, they couldn't release the John Jones versus Cyril Gone news themselves. They got beat by a in, by some intern running the fucking billboard at the T-Mobile Arena. All right, mm-hmm. woo! What a time for the UFC, huh, guys? Huh? What a go! What a what a time, Mike. Yeah. At the same time, though, Bob, like normally for another company, if all these bad things happened all in this you know short amount of time. There would be sirens going off, you know, in the high office, and I don't think that's happening. You, you know what's a fucking problem, think... bro? You know what's a serious problem? And you don't watch a lot of other sports, or you don't watch any other sports regularly, I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike does. So Mike's going to know what I mean here. You know what happens when the NFL does something fucked up? Football fans complain about the NFL. You know what happens when the NBA does something fucked mm-hmm. up? NBA fans complain about the NFL. The vast majority, okay? Or sorry, NBA. You know what I'm saying? NBA, NBA. Mike mm-hmm. made a face. Um, so there's no – this is the same thing as it is in wrestling, I've realized too, okay? People rooting for the league or promotion exists in this sport in a way that I don't see in any other sport. And it's fucking weird. Like, it's real weird. I don't get it. These people almost hate the fighters, it feels like. Just like they're there. And I look, I know the fighters give us plenty of reason for other stuff, but it seems like they, it, Mike, do you get what I'm going with this? Like, it feels like the people, like, there's, I think the kills, the children call this stands. People stand for the fucking promotion or league in this sport on a level, specifically the UFC, that I'd never fucking seen or anything else before. It is wild. Do you get it? Because I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're, you're right. Um, normally, you're not going to find people that are, you know, just super awesome NFL fans or super awesome just NBA fans. No, you're you're a Knicks fan or you're a Cowboys fan. Um, you're you know, a basketball you fan. Yeah, you're not. You're you, don't a- <laughs> really, you don't really see that type of uh, loyalty from from let's just call them UFC fans yeah. towards the actual fighters. It's just it's weird, man. And I think it's lets them get away with stuff, Mark. Honestly, I think this sport doesn't deserve the fans it has. Some of these people get their head, need to get their heads out of their asses. Like, well, I don't get I mean, it. <laughs> I, I'm going to point to Dana. You know, Dana, it, it, as much as I curtail about how much I don't like how he's become the figurehead, I think in a lot of these cases, I, I have to assume that's why there's so many fans that are like, oh, yeah, no, I like Dana and Joe Rogan. And, you know, the fighters can really be asking for a lot. They give Dana a hard time wanting more money and they get. I'm guessing it's just because the main guy, I don't know if NFL or the NBA have a main head spokesperson. They do. We, everybody hates them in every sport. Yeah, well, it's wild. Maybe they need to do more. 
Effort Friday video. Dude, this is good know. at his job. It must be because he's found a way to just shit on everything yeah, else on a point. Like props, he did it. People just there. There's a large contingency of the fan base that seem to just kind of eat up whatever he says, um, and that's why so much of this stuff gets swept under the rug, or a lot of it seems like the fan base are siding with him, or the families fan base seems splintered at least right where there are some people that are like this is fucked up this needs to change and there's a lot where it's like no dana's doing the right thing this is the right call for whatever situation they find themselves in so it is very weird i would agree to that for sure um yeah okay we did get a big fight though there's yeah let's talk about it I i mean i'll say this we got what we got out of this john jones versus cyril gone I mean, I would just like to summarize uh, uh, this as a fuck yeah, right, Mark? Like fuck yeah, yeah. let's let's do this. Let's fucking go. The, you know, the I mean, best ever is back. Yeah, most people for eyes. a long time we've wanted to see John Jones challenged, mm. and there hasn't really been anyone at two hundred five to really legitimately challenge him. I think Cormier was probably like the most appealing fights he had, or had the biggest foil, but those fights weren't that competitive right Mm -hmm. and like so it did seem like the obvious conclusion is he needs to go up and fight these guys that have the same physicality that he has um and see how he does there and it's been a long time coming uh when was his last fight was it two i don't think he fought during the pandemic at all did he Uh, it was dominic reyes who we now don't think he has i think has an mma career anymore let's go with that that's how long sure. it was like it's but it yeah so it, it, it's good we wanted to see him at heavyweight we there's so many fresh matchups for him um and Cyril Gon is an interesting first choice I think stylistically it's interesting because I don't feel like he's going what's three years for Bob <laughs> oh three years okay February yeah. I mean, 2020 so, yeah, like, mm-hmm. okay yeah so right as the pandemic he has not been he had not had one pandemic fight whatsoever so I mean, I think stylistically, Gone is an interesting fighter. I think physicality, he matches up very well with John Jones. And but also a little caveat there is like there is an avenue for John to be very dominant in this fight if he utilizes his wrestling and is able to get Gone down. John Jones' top game is one of the best. We haven't seen it in freaking years, but when he gets on top of dudes, he does a lot of damage with ground and pound, and he's very well versed in submissions. So it makes it more compelling, right? If it was a fight where it's like, oh, skill wise like with like a stipe it's like well stipe is a good wrestler he's a good striker this is going to be you know on a technical level like a very competitive fight and this one it's like well Cyril gone should definitely be a the more polished striker we've seen john in a lot of his fights have to revert to his striking and john can't take anybody down anymore bro no he doesn't take anybody down he's like he hasn't he he couldn't take fucking dominic down it was weird But but to to the point with his stand up, it's like his stand up wins him fights like he wins these fights, but he doesn't look as fluid. He doesn't look as dominant. He doesn't look as dangerous in his stand up. Right. He, he has not mastered a lot of the skills he needs with his kind of attributes, the jab, these kind of really basic fundamentals. He just kind of struggles with a little bit. So it's going to in that regard, him and gone is going to be very interesting. And it'll be interesting to see if John does, you know, take it to the ground, because I think that's an area in that fight where he'll really shine and be able to really take advantage of. But that probably could have been sent about a lot of his fights. If he was able to get Santos down, if he was able to get Dominic down, I think he could have been a lot more dominant than he was in these fights, but he tends to not really push that Avenue. So it's a fun fight. You know, I think John and heavyweight is just really intriguing and it'll be interesting to see what he does, how long he stays. And if he <laughs> his personal life in order. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and that's the thing is like, that's maybe the biggest thing is like, 
in the last three years, I don't wait. No, he did get in trouble. Oh, he right? did a few times. Fame. <laughs> so it's like that's always going to be a hurdle. Probably his biggest his biggest hurdle in his career so far has been himself outside of fights. Um, the man let's left see if heavyweight. The, the Mark, uh, sorry, Mark. Mike, mm-hmm. the guy left because he wasn't getting paid enough. That was he wasn't getting paid enough. That was part of the reason he's left. Well, um, <laughs> look, if there's one thing you can't say is that John Jones didn't win because he left because he wasn't getting paid enough. He took three years off, and now he, according to his manager, is the second highest paid UFC fighter ever. Um, I mean, let's not take into account that he took three years off, so he probably lost a shit. I mean, he, he wanted to get paid like there. Deontay Wilder. You want, do you think he's getting paid like Deontay Wilder? Uh, no, no, I do there not we think he's getting paid. Don't like think it worked out. Don't think it worked out so well. Um, yeah. Um, he's, yeah. I think the fight's awesome. I don't think he's going to win. Honestly, right now, I'm thinking, I don't think he's going to win. He does not do well with guys who are big. Mark pointed it out. This guy's bigger than him, or at least as tall. He's got a long ass reach. I'm assuming his takedown defense has gotten better on some level in the last year. You know? I mean, Jones, yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's going to go so well. This is happening March 4th um, at T Mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, Hence the billboard. Yeah. Um, same weekend as a AEW pay per view. They try to avoid that normally. So then again, I think AEW probably didn't think UFC was going to run two pay per views within 14 days of each other. Because, yeah, um, Edwards versus Usman is on March 18th, London. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, and um, we also got Ro- we also got uh, Rafael Fizé versus Justin Gaethje on that card, which is just fucking awesome. That is going to be a sick, sick fight. So. Um, all right. We said we'd talk about it. I This happened after last week's show, right? Because last week's show was the one where I mm-hmm. was yeah. losing my damn yeah, mind. It was before. like midweek. It yeah. was like Thursday. So Dana White, realizing that no one else is going to say anything, felt he needed to go and say some stuff about the incident. Um, think generally speaking, I'm not going to, we're not going to go back and go through everything he said because it's been a week and everybody probably saw it at this point. But I think we all could agree everything, more or less, most of what he was saying, all but really one section, was the right things to say. Again, owning up to everything he did, saying that I was wrong. Um, I shouldn't have done it. I embarrassed myself, the family, our kids, everything. Everything he said there was correct. You know, I'm f- uh, the part where he said, and I, I little like that he had, he didn't, he says, like, I didn't talk about this in the TMZ interview because I didn't think I would have to, but nobody should defend me, which where he had to include, he didn't think he had, who was going to have to really tells you how far some of these morons, uh, morons have, uh, gone off the reservation with their opinions. Um, but Dana White said, people said, Hey man, what's the, um, well, we're going to have any, uh, any repercussions here. Huh? you gonna, you're going to miss a week. You're going to miss a month. Mm-hmm. You're going to miss two months. We're going to donate to a battered woman shelter? Huh? What do you think? You're going to do a PSA? Uh, any of these things? And Dana was like, nah. Nah. Oh, uh, no, nah, we're not doing that. Um, my punishment is 
because because him going away would hurt the league and the fighters and everybody. Um, the only real punishment is him having to basically live with this, right? That's what we—he's going to be known as a woman beater. That's it. It, it. Now that you just mentioned that, Bob, where he was like, "What is me? How does me leaving hurt hurt the uh, hurt me? It doesn't hurt me at all. I just take a little vacation. Like it hurts the company." You're running the company. If your absence, I mean, first and foremost, we can talk about like if his absence would be a big detriment to the product as a whole. And yeah. we talked about last week, we don't think it would be. If anything, it might even be better. But if his argument is like, oh, well, the, the company would, the fighters would, you know, uh, be, be punished for that more than me. Like me be, not being here is going to be detrimental to every facet. Then like, then, okay. Okay. Like, look at your actions. Not only do they, not only do you get punished. Now, because you're the head, everyone else in the company gets fucked too. How about that for a punishment? How I about mean, you're so big when you do something bad, the stocks go down? That's a punishment. Hey, look at it, it punishes other people that shouldn't have been punished that had nothing to do with the incident. But you're running the company, dog. Like your head honcho. You do something bad, you get punished. And if more people under the company and the company itself, you know, gets detrimentally like less stock, the stock goes down or whatever. That's just part of the repercussions. Yeah. And I mean, and you'll get into it, Bob, but like the whole thing, like, I have to live with it is complete Dude, I, okay, bullshit. Here's the Everyone that does anything has to live with yeah, it. Yeah, we all it's do. The punishment that deters you. Shit happens. You got to do whatever decision you make, you live with. I mean, Mike, that sounded like a man who's getting 5% of uh, of revenue as his salary every year, uh, wanting to justify that 5% continue to be his salary every year. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to Yo, me. <laughs> look, look. Over this past week, Justin Roiland, co-creator of Rick and Morty, was found out that he has some domestic violence allegations, or I think got arrested for it back in 2020. Mm -hmm. he, right? He posted bond, uh, yeah, bond to get out. And look, if Rick and Morty never comes back again because this dude, you know, mm -hmm. hit his wife or whoever his girlfriend, that would be a shame, but it would also be an apt punishment. Yeah, it, it is what it is. All right. I would be very sad. I would never get any more Rick and Morty episodes. I would never find out, you know, the conclusion to evil Morty. But that would be, you know, the punishment we all have to deal with for, you know, right. someone who's as big as Justin Roiland, a co-creator who I would say is of the same stature in terms of his little show that Dana White is with the UFC. These are the, that's the punishment. Something has to hurt. No one should be too big that when they do something naughty, they're just they're just exempt from punishment. No, that's not how the, well, that's not how society should work. I mean, put it plainly, everybody's asked. Everybody had the same reasonable question afterwards, which is, okay, is that the new policy? Like, if if one of the fighters does this, is that the policy that he doesn't yes. get punished? I mean, if that's the policy, okay, that's the no, new no, policy. The policy. The policy is how big of a fighter are you? At least according to this, that's what the policy should be. Well, I mean, John Jones just are you are you, a, are you a main eventer? John Jones. Are Go you in a main eventer on a pay-per-view? Because you know, main events are on a fucking fight night. Mm, fuck sure. out here. All right. All right. We care about women. All right. Yeah. We need to suspend this guy for six months to just throw his ass out of the UFC. Mm. But if you're someone who's responsible for maybe 700K buys or 800K buys, no, you're good. Well, I mean, and he he said as much. He said case by case basis. Well, we know, just gave the like, guy I, the largest contract in UFC heavyweight whatever history, right? Mm -hmm. And he 
he lost everything there. I mean, he lost. He she left him, bro. Like he he hit his wife or girlfriend or whatever but, she was. Yeah, I guess they did. He did not tie the knot, so you can't say he hit his wife, but he hit yeah. his baby's mama. Yeah, and uh, that was a bad night at the Hall of Fame for him. But now he's swimming pretty in a you know the second pace, uh, highest pace fighter. Yeah, in no UFC problem. History, he's, he's so. a, yeah, that's fine. It worked out for him there. Look, okay, honestly, what bothered me the most. On, is that he had to is is that we are like he has to answer that question sure what it's not his job what like i don't understand i get it 22 percent of the revenue from endeavors the ufc okay i know I, oh, look we all work in not we all work on in in business here like we all understand numbers 22 percent is a lot if he's not there you still get money. You own the fuck. The, you are this sport for 99% of the people out there of the audience, right? They are the sport. The UFC is the sport. That is the sport. Is you, You're not. People aren't going. You see how fucking brand loyal these people are? No one's going anywhere. This is it. Like, that's it. I don't get it, man. I don't get it at all. So. Yeah. Oh, a guy running Endeavor is a big old pussy. Mm-hmm. Confirm. Yep. I blame... He's worse... Than, I mean, look, ESPN, I like if ESPN said something. The ESPN literally said, sure. hey, man, it's not our broadcast even. We just, like, air the signal. Because the UFC runs their own broadcast. Which right. I'm like, okay, cool. That's that's great. <laughs> what an answer. TBS is like, we got... We got what do you mean? We got what are we wait, we have nothing to do with this. What we just got a slap fight show to put on. That's it. We you see how we edited him out of the commercial? We did our part. He's not in the commercial anymore. Um the second inner Dana White's second press conference on Saturday was someone's just like, hey man, if there's no like consequences, like what why did they like it was there any conversation as to like why maybe we don't do the slap fight show? And Dana White's mm. like, No, of course not. And then someone's like, well, okay, well, th- we waited a week. There was a delay of the week. Like, what was that for? Dana's like, oh, that's because, you know, there was going to be a media tour I was going to have to go on. It's like, I need to get my face out there. Yeah, like, is, is he still going on the media tour? Um, I don't know. I think the show starts in three days, right? Or two days? Wednesday? I, I did see a video. It might have been on ESPN or U- the UFC YouTube mm. channel. But it was him doing an interview holding the s- power slap belt. Belt? Like the optics of this is not good. It's not good that you're sitting here talking about power slap. Okay, after what just happened, you know, two weeks ago. Like my memory's not that bad. Like it was not that long ago that the video surfaced. And oh boy. What a mess, bro. What a mess. This whole thing, what a mess. It's a good thing that they could, you know, uh what was the what was the what are the shit that uh uh, Trump said about he could kill us. He could kill someone, and people still cheer for him. He could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, and he wouldn't lose a vote. Well, Dana White's not gonna lose one MMA fan, apparently, <laughs> with what he did. So, anyway, that's uh, a lot happened. Just there. Um, Sean Strickland came off the couch and beat uh, Nasruddin Imabov on Saturday. So good for him. Then he said MAGA. Then he said Trump twenty twenty four. So. Okay. He's, he is who we thought he is. <laughs> right? So, anyway. Um, yeah. So, we just do uh, 
Let's try to transition to something a little more positive, huh? Well, we could mention we didn't mention it last week. Uh, I mean, I think it's been going around for oh, a while, but Keith Lee, the other Keith Lee, yeah. the, the non pro wrestling one, the one that I guess was um, at Bellator. Yeah, I didn't know he had made such a you know glorious transition to TikTok mm-hmm. food reviews, but once I was privy to uh, you know his budding new business or whatever you want to call it, his new venture. That's just a feel-good story right there. One of the most influential food reviewers in the world, they're saying, because of the sheer number of people <laughs> yeah. he reaches. Yeah, um, I mean, sure. <laughs> I mean, my brother told me about him right. at one point, and I was half listening, and I'm just like, yeah, okay, sure, good for him. Mm-hmm. But then I was just like, he's getting like, he has like 8 million people following him on TikTok or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. And like, it's wild, man. Good for him. I mean, I think what even makes, I mean, one, I think having heard the story and then watching his food review, it, he, he is very endearing. Like Mike, have you seen this at all? Have you heard about this guy? No, he does like these TikTok food reviews and reading the story. He was like, yeah, you know, I was, I'm an MMA fighter. I was trying to get better at doing interviews. Cause I have like social anxieties and I talk really fast when I get nervous or excited. So I was doing these little, you know, videos for myself to kind of calm myself down and get used to doing media. And then, that transition to doing a food review because his wife was hungry or something. And now it's kind of popped off and watching it and, and have watching other people who, you know, review food or talk about food. Like he has a very distinct style, which is like his speaking voice is kind of very monotone and like straight to the point. He kind of says like, this is the restaurant I went to. These are the items I got. This is how much it cost. And like, I didn't tell him I was a food reviewer. Yada, yada. And he eats it. And he's just like, it's very clear honesty is bleeding through. And I think that's a big part of his appeal is like, he's very honest with his opinions of things. And I think in the article I read, which was on MMA fighting, I think what really kind of endeared him even more was that his reviews have gotten, you know, they get so many views that, you know, if he does review something positive, it has a huge impact on the business. And now he's kind of going out to smaller struggling restaurants and trying to give them the spotlight all in the guys too that he says like, look, I'm going to review the food and the food's no good. I'm not, you know, the integrity, you know, of this whole thing is that I'm being honest with you, right? So if I, I'm not going to go in here and say the food's great when it's not. Um, but he gives a real account for it, and I think it was Frank's Pizza or it was like Zombie Pizza in Las Vegas was struggling, and they someone at the at the uh, pizza parlor reached out to him and was like oh we wanted this other food guy to, uh, to do a video for us but he wanted like twenty six thousand dollars and we can't afford that so he's like how much do you cost to do a food review and he's like i don't you you don't pay me anything i pay you for the food and i tell you how the food is and then he did it you know he loved the food and the business just exploded and now it's like it's kind of like his thing is like he wants to go and help struggling businesses you know, get on their feet and give them the kind of exposure they need to be successful. And I think that's awesome. And I think that's kind of him and himself doing the food reviews were, were good and fun in and of themselves, but him like trying to help other people with his platform, I think kind of elevates it to another level where it's like, not only do I just like this guy and his videos are fun and entertaining, um, but it also seems like it's very beneficial. And I think the people following him also have this kind of pride where it's like, yeah, I want to hear about this, these places I don't know about, and then I want to support that company and make sure they're not in trouble. So it, it's just, it's just, it's a good feel good story all around. So I was I was happy to see that in a month or a couple months where it's just been the dredges of like people killing their girlfriends, slapping their wives. It's just like a never end, uh, you know, cycle of just like yeah. He's uh, a Kevin so. Lee's brother, by the way. He is Kevin Lee's Kevin okay. Lee's brother. 
Okay. And Kevin Lee's always Makes so angry. Sense. This guy's much friendlier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I do, Mike, would recommend watching, find that article. Or Mike's, got tic- Mike's got TikTok. Mike's the only one of us oh, on TikTok. Go straight to the uh, source. What's the guy's name again? Keith Lee. Keith Lee. Yeah. All just, right. Just, yeah. I would imagine he's so popular. You put him in the search and he'd be the top it's one. It's Keith underscore Keith Lee 125. Okay. That's right. Because he fights at 125. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading that story. It was like, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, the fight game only lasts for so long. It is not a lifelong career. You know, you're not going to be retiring at 65. So you either need to get enough money while you're in here to support yourself for the rest of your life, which is very difficult. Nine million followers now, by the way. <laughs> okay. Or you need to pivot. Right. And I, not every MMA fighter can pivot in this way. You know, I think it's, it's, there's a lot of circumstances that allowed him to kind of the stars align for him to kind of get the attention that he needed. Um, but it worked out for him. So couldn't be happier, you know, and he's still trying, he still wants to fight too. He, his, he got cut from Bellator and then he fought once for Uriah Faber's kind of, you know, independent show out in the Sacramento area. And he wants to get on a big league. And I think with this kind of exposure, it's hard to think like, oh, yeah, PFL or a Bellator wouldn't want this guy back now that he has 9 million people following him. I think they'd be very interested. All right. Let's do a, let's do a let's real quickly talk about a fight we like. Make our, then make our picks for the pay-per-view. We're already sure. at 45 minutes. Um, I'm going to – I got one this week. And um, apropos to his retirement that's happening um, – after uh, this weekend in Brazil at UFC 283, Mauricio Shogun Hua um, talking about his. And this is a recommendation uh, Mike gave me on what I should be, I should do, um, and that is Shogun versus uh, Machida two. And um, it's not that it, honestly. I would want you almost everybody, Mike. I think honestly, you might want to watch both fights. What? Not that the first one or either one, either one of them is even that good of a fight. It's just the story that it tells. Um, and a lot of times people talk about bad decisions and fights, and you think that like people are gonna like always remember that it was a bad decision. No, they don't. Um, Shogun fought Machida first at UFC 104 in Los Angeles. Um, a great card, one in which Rumble Johnson showed up like nine pounds overweight and knocked Yoshida's head into the seventh row. It's a great pay-per-view, in my opinion. Um, Shogun won that fight for anybody, with, if, if you ask anybody who has eyes. Okay? Three, if not four rounds. Um, you know it didn't go well for Machida when people were saying, when his team was saying, well, leg kick shouldn't count that much. It's a real thing that came out of people's mouths. Leg kick shouldn't count that much. Because Machida's legs were beat to shit when it was over. Um, really had no choice but to do an immediate rematch, which happened in um, May of 2010 at UFC 113. Shogun left no doubt, Mike, huh? Knocked his ass out in three and a half minutes and went into that fight with a partially torn knee because that's just what Shogun does, man. Shows up with a partially torn knee most of his life. Um, But yeah, that is what I got this week. Shogun versus Machida uh, 2 in Montreal at UFC 113. A fight card where Josh Koscheck got punched after the bell by Paul Daly. Another thing that happened at UFC 113. The post-UFC 100 stretch at the UFC is really interesting shit happened there. Um, and Not uh, a bad pick there, Bob. Well, you, it was your, you did it. So <laughs> it was entirely you. <laughs> um, so, yes. Um, and then um, 
yeah, that's all I got this week. That's my pick for this week. Uh, Mike, do you got one or Mark, do you got one you want to add or do you guys want to go into the bites? Uh, no, I think I like that one. Um, I've been ha- having one uh, just in the pocket, but uh, it's not time to unleash it yet. Yeah, I feel the same. We're already running a little late. Let's just go straight to the fights. Um, well, before we're getting to the fight, we mentioned it's Shogun's um, final UFC fight. I think, Mark, if you're a newer fan, you want to give him a brief thing just talking about how this was the best light heavyweight in the world for a good stretch there. And, uh, yeah. you know, fighting, uh, probably I mean, past, fighting far past where he needed to, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, I think for me personally, uh, Murillo, Shogun Hua was kind of like the new blood. You know, when I, when I kind of got back into MMA and was watching Pride, I mean, his brother a little bit, because it was kind of like Vanderlei and Shootobox had been around for a while. You know, Vanderlei had been, you know, fairly established. And then, uh, you know, Marilla Ninja kind of came in and he was kind of the, the hot shit. And he had been fighting for a while. And then his younger brother, uh, Mauricio, came in and then he really just he blew through uh, the pride division. Right. And I think uh, a lot of that comes with the light heavyweight grand prix where he had just like a killer's list. He probably had the hardest road in that tournament and he demolished everyone in his path. It was quite incredible. Like I think his first fight was with Quinton. Um, it is considered the greatest I, calendar year ever for a guy, like the greatest stretch, right? I think is what they're saying. Yeah, he went. I think, I think I have it up in front of me. Um, is it was it Quinton, Little Nog, Alistar, and then Arona? Yeah, and Arona was the, the, the fucking man back then too. Arona was awesome. Well, <laughs> well, he was. Yeah, he absolutely. I don't. I, I think. I think that was before Quinton. It went Quinton. It went Quinton at Pride Total Elimination. No, no, I know, but did Quinton fight Arona already and do the powerbomb? I think that was after. Uh, so this was August 2005. I think Quinton did fight it. Let me see. Quinton, that was the next fight. He, uh, no, that was before. Okay. That was before. I apologize. That was the year okay. before. So, but, but, but Arona still awesome. got that. Well, he got that moniker, and you're not wrong in saying that because in the tournament, he fought Vanderlei Silva, who was the champion, mm-hmm. who was the reigning champion. And it wasn't like the most exciting fight in the world, but he beat him. Like Arona beat Vanderlei on a decision and de facto the belt wasn't on the line but like you know you don't have to play you know arm you know arm armchair quarterback or whatever like he he beat the best guy in the weight division now he didn't get the belt but going into that final fight with Shogun on the same night it was very much like this guy's kind of the man to beat now he beat the man he beat Vanderlei and I think I'm pretty sure Shogun finished him he finished everybody I think except Little Nog yeah Um, and that was was, what a fight <laughs> yeah. It was an amazing tournament. And I think even before that, he had fought in another tournament, not in Pride. I can't remember what the organization was. Mecca was World Valley Tudo. Yeah, was that the one where he fought? Oh, um, sorry, that was IFC. IFC is what he did it. IFC, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where like that was another huge tournament that had Bobaloo in it. I can't remember all the guys that were in it, but it was like outside of UFC and Pride, like these were the best of the best. Forrest Griffin was in it when I had no fucking idea who Forrest Griffin was at all. Um, and I think he won that tournament too. So like he had been a very established fighter. And ultimately when, when he came into the UFC, he stumbled a little bit out of the gate. He lost to Forrest. Um, he seemed like a front runner to quickly get a title shot and he, he did have to kind of earn it. But once he did, you know, he had these fights with Machida and ultimately, you know, did get the belt. You know, he didn't have a very dominant reign. I think his next fight after Lyoto was John Jones and he got finished. Um, yeah. But his impact had already been, you know, felt before he entered the UFC. So, yeah, that, him winning yeah, that championship of... really, you know, he, he wanted him to get a belt. 
Like, he never won the Pride World. I won, he won the Grand Prix, but he never was champion of Pride. You know, it was nice for him to come yeah. a world championship. He needed to get his just desserts, especially with, like, a new fan base who, you know, when UFC bought Pride, I don't think a lot of the UFC fans really knew what what, what Pride was and mm. how influential it was and the talent that they had. So for him to be able to come over to the UFC and get a belt, and maybe even more so after losing to Forrest, because that took a, that was a big, big loss. That was bad. I mean, that was devastating to me. I was like, oh, this guy's going to fucking run through. You think Quentin Jackson's the best in Pride? Shogun stomped the shit out of him in like three minutes. He demolished Quentin Jackson. You gave him the belt? Wait until this guy gets in here. And then, you know, he stumbled out of the gates with Forrest. You know, he got tired and got choked out. And he had to kind of work his way back up. But he did eventually get the recognition that he deserved. And, you know, now we're, you know, a decade later than it should have been. But he's retired. Yeah, I was going to say, Mike, we probably, like... After he got that first Hendo fight with Shogun, um, and he had a couple other ones where, like, it was like the Shogun loss, the, 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 the no, sorry, the uh, Gustafson loss was bad, the Chael loss was bad. I think it was like 10 years ago, these fights. We're like at the last 10, him fighting an extra 10 years is what it feels like, beyond what he and, should have. <laughs> and what's crazy is that you say that, and if you look at how old he is, maybe he's like, what, 40, 41 now? Yeah. He's not. He's not like crazy old, and we thought he was super old and washed like ten years ago. Well, also because you got the, he got those shoot the box miles on him because that gym used to just let's just go into the gym and start sway wailing on each other every day. How? Huh? What do you think? Huh? Good plan. That's a, that was the training back at shoot the box. So yeah, um, we're not picking Shogun's fight because quite frankly, I don't want to pick against Shogun in his last fight ever, and I would be picking a guy I don't even know to beat him. It makes me even sadder. Let's get into it though. UFC two eighty three. Wow, there's some people on this uh, headlining this card and uh, the co-main event of this card who real questionable integrity all around. Um, so uh, the UFC didn't like how the U- the light heavyweight title fight was going between Ankalaev and uh, and Big uh, Big Yan over there last month, and uh, well then it was a draw, and then they're like, well that didn't happen. The only people who paid for this that didn't happen. Um, instead, uh, we're gonna have a new champion next month. So, and if that doesn't work out, Mark, I don't know. Maybe next month they'll add another UFC light heavyweight title fight into that fight to see if we find the right we like one we like. Can't imagine we're gonna get another draw here, but that would be something. Um Glover Teixeira, the former champion, um the ageless wonder. Uh, he he looks old. What am I saying? Um, but he's still winning. Show uh, old man Glover, fresh off of coaching of ha- of adding a UFC middleweight championship to his gym with uh mm-hmm. Poetan knocking out um Izzy, who now has a face tat- face tattoo, by the way, um, taking on domestic abuse apologist Jamal Hill. Um, made me really sad, Jamal Hill. I was really excited for this new wave of light heavy UFC light heavyweights, and quite frankly, still excited for how good of a fighter you could be, man. Uh, but that really was he didn't need to say any of that shit. Betting odds for this one, um, I just had it up in front of me. Um, I believe it's a slight favorite to Mr. Hill at minus 125 um, to plus 105 for Glover. Gentlemen, do I have to pick first? Because there are no standings. And I feel, quite frankly, um, I've been picking first for eight well, months now. Choice, baby. Well, champion goes want. first. Yeah, no, I'm so. not going first. Mike goes first. What do you think, Mark? Huh? <laughs> I don't know about that. It's a dealer's choice, so I can't. I don't want to begrudge the thing I literally said two seconds ago. So, Mike, you're up. What do you got? Mm. Mm. I don't know. 
I feel like you literally just won the championship. You want to wear your All stupid right. sun. I got. I'll, like, I'll take lower. I'll, I'll, I'll take. I'll take. Uh, I'll take Jamal Hill. I got Jamal Hill. Nice. I take it back. I got. Ugh. I got Glover. I'll take Glover. Fuck it. I'll Ooh. take Glover. Mike, not you got? very. Uh, not very confident in that pick. Dude, I it's see. a pick, em, bro. What do you mean? It's. I got. I got Glover. Ooh. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Jamal Hill. Um, I'm being a bit of an ageist here. At some point, at some point, someone's gonna look old, and it's gonna be the guy who's like 45 years old. You know, Mike. I'm just saying, if Dana White's not gonna <laughs> suffer repercussions, one of the people who is defending him should suffer some repercussions. Is uh, all I'm saying. <laughs> that's that's not how life works. No, 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 honestly, the Jamal is gonna knock out Glover in the first round because life isn't fair and there's no consequences for anything. Marcus. Join me picking the old man, please. <laughs> uh, well, I am. I was going to pick Glover. Um, I, I do think it's a, it's an interesting fight. I'm a little concerned with Jamal Hills. Just like not even like lack of experience. He's been in the UFC for a while and he's fought some tough guys and has big wins. I just haven't seen or recall a fight where he had someone with the skill set that Glover has. Um, and it's really going to come down to like, can Glover get him down? If he can take him down, I think he has a good chance of tiring out Jamal um, and working that jujitsu and, and probably getting a rear naked choke. You know, it seems to be kind of what he's able to do with guys when he's able to dictate the fight and take them down. It's really going to be interesting. Is Jamal Hill going to have enough youth in him, right? And enough takedown defense to keep it standing? Because if he does, I think he's. he's are, really are you, likely are you confident that he's got better stand up than Glover? Because I'm not. Why is the thing? I don't I know if he, he does. <laughs> a whole lot harder. I think he hits well, a lot harder and he's longer. Glover hits um, hard, bro. Glover used to knock people out left and right. He, Glover has a great left hook, mm. but I think Jamal Hill has a lot better in like using his reach and using his straight punches. Mm. Um, so it, it, it may, if Glover can get in, in the pocket and throw, I think he's very dangerous, but I think Jamal is young enough. He's wiry enough to try to play the fight at distance. I think that's where he's going to be a little bit more dangerous is with his, his big straight punches. Um, but ultimately I think Glover's going to be able to pressure him enough to get him against the cage, drag his ass down and try to tire him out that way. That's how I see Glover winning. But you know, I'm not going to be surprised if Jamal Hill catches him with a big strike and wins it. Cause that's how he wins. That's how he fights. Um, I do appreciate how close these are, these top two fights, two title fights. Cause I don't know at all. I'm up in the air about both of them, quite frankly. So Mike's taking Jamal Hill. Someone's Mike, you got the article going? Yes. Okay. Um, as always, you can see all of our picks over on itsamazing.com if you want to check out the standings at any point. Or just listen to the show. We'll tell you there, too. I know none of you are going to the site. The site's just there. Um, Brandon Moreno, Davis, and Figueredo. We're doing this fourth time, brother. Um, all right. Uh, Davison, I apologize. Uh, fascist UFC flyweight champion, uh, Davis and Figueredo, who last week called for a fucking coup in Brazil. So, there we go. Um, sorry, no, sorry. I believe he called for a junta specifically. Um, is that is that like a fancy coup? Well, is that I like a Latin? Junta is, is like when it's a, a it's a military coup. But I think they wanted to reinstate Bolsonaro, and he's not part of the military. So, Wait a second, aren't all coups related to the military? No, coups just you just take over the country. You call for a coup. You call for a coup. Oh, okay. So, like, a coup could involve the military, or it could not. But a junta is like, oh, we get we getting guns involved. All squares are rectangles. Not all rectangles are squares. One of those. Mm -hmm. Okay, you got know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, he did that. Um, I got Brandon. 
I don't know why. I think, I mean, honestly, like the gym thing. I find it interesting. It's still a pick em. People, I makes me think that if Brandon doesn't have all this shit or surrounding him with James Krause, he'd be the favorite. That's what that means to me. If it's minus 110 each um, as a pick em. So I'm going to take Moreno, man. He's already in the States. Uh, he's been in the States for a while. I know the fight's not in the States, but he, he spent a lot of his camp at the PI training with, I forgot the name of the team, but like he has a real team he's familiar with there. And these guys have fought each other this many times. They're pretty familiar with each other. And Figueredo has nine pounds to cut in four days. So maybe he struggles because, hell, that happens all the time with him. So I got Brandon. Um, I went to Mike first. Last time I'm going to Mark this time. Mark, who do you got? Yeah, um, I'll pick Figueredo just to kind of mix it up a little bit. I, I do think, I mean, look, at these guys have fought eight, no, sorry, 13 rounds. And they've all been fairly competitive. But Figueroa probably did win more of those rounds than uh, Brandon did. You know, I disagree with that, but fair enough. <laughs> well, because I think he he won more rounds in the first fight because it was uh, a draw because he hit him in the. He I mean, he didn't the win the round then. But like, but like he, but like, okay, I performed. I got what you're like, saying. Yeah, I got you. If I it was if it was a draw and he got a point taken away, he pro- he would have won the fight without the point taken away, and then he won the third fight. weren't they split all these? Any, weren't these all splits the anyway? No, the last one was unique. Last one is he won three two. Mm. Okay, the oh, one yeah. Brandon, the one Brandon yeah. won. Yeah, he, I well, he Brandon. He I know Brandon was. Right. It wasn't a surprise when Brandon put him away. I thought other people were just like, oh, yeah. Brandon really made some adjustments. <laughs> yeah, and Figueroa. But I, I also think in that fight, Figueroa like it, he seemed a little off. I, I think maybe he underestimated. You know the the leaps Brandon made. I mean, personally, I want Brandon to win. I like the guy a lot more. Um, well, I mean, it's a low bar right now, buddy. <laughs> it's a low What's bar that? these days. Liking him more than <laughs> yeah. Figueroa. Well, yeah, I mean, in the cage, true. I love Figueroa. Figueroa is one of my favorite fighters to watch. He's I very love exciting. Having this champion. Yeah, I think he's a great champion. So. Yeah, I mean, so that all being said, you know what I'm really looking forward to is like these fights have been great, but like I'd like to see the division move on just a little bit. You know, like we finally got some exciting guys, and they've just fought each other four times. Well, I mean, if Brandon I mean, for... wins, we can get the what's it called fight next too. Um. The guy who Pantoja, we can get Pantoja in there because Brand Pantoja's oh, got to sure. win over Brandon. No, I mean I think you can do Pantoja Figueroa too. He's, that was a long time ago. He, he's got to win over both of them. He lost um, to Figueroa. Uh, well, he beat him here. Pantoja beat Figueroa. <laughs> yeah. Okay, my bad. But I think Pantoja lost to was it K Car France or something. He lost to somebody that kind of took a little steam out. That's what happens when the guys they keep everybody. The old division's cannibalizing itself because these guys keep fighting each other. Well, yeah, it's like. You have two stars, which is great. This division needs stars so freaking bad. But, like, you need to diversify the star power a little bit by having them fight other people. And it's like, look, maybe he fights Panjoza and Panjoza loses. But maybe the fight's half decent, and now more people know who that guy is. So, we'll see. I'll go Figueroa. That's just, like, uh, you know, flipping the coin and kind of, you know, putting some some different flavors in the pick. So, that's what I got. Mike, clean sweep or oh, – I'm sorry, not clean sweep. Are you going to join me or are you going to join Mark? Uh, no, I am going to be going with, uh, Figueredo. Um, <laughs> I still do think that even though it was almost two months ago, losing your head coach is still, is still a very big factor. And Kraus was a very good head coach at, at that. I think that's what going, you said also when we were picking our champions, right? You said that that was your, I think you said, you said Figueredo was still going to be champion in a year. I think was, this yeah. was your logic, the coach thing. So fair consistent yeah. my friend uh so yeah i'm going figueredo and the other thing i would like to mention when a military coup takes place the military 
or elements of the military attempt to depose whoever is governing the state. Could be a dictator, a democratically elected government. So it's still a junta. A military... Can I I finish? A military junta, on the other hand, is a group of military officers who form a government to govern their state, and they usually only get into that position through a military coup. Okay, so it's just a military coup then, because they want to bring back... uh brazilian trump right there we go so there we go now we learn who's who's hanging out in florida at josie aldo's house yeah i mean that's what you do though when you're a despot and you want to take over a country it's like what mussolini did he just waited for them you wait for them to take control of the government and then you come back as a conquering hero that's 101 is that is that really his best like celebrity friend in the states who's brazilian jose aldo Who's who's a famous brazilian in the united states I don't know any of the Victoria's Secret models from like the early aughts. They're not fascists, I guess. <laughs> they might have more sense than Jose Aldo. Dude, MMA know. fighters love this. Love this. Love this. Uh, I bet. I bet Adriana Lima would love a nice little coup. I don't know. It's a disrespect for putting on Adriana Lima's name right now. Eighteen-year-old Bobby, sixteen-year-old Bobby, not happy. Ah, oh, bad. Eighteen-year-old bike loved Adriana. Yeah, Lima. exactly. Um. All right, Mike, is your thing just going to be picking against everything I pick in a close fight for the year because you figure I got to get ahead of this rather than waiting till October? No, I no, respect it. Just... I respect it if you're going to do it early. Like, no, these are these are two pick em fights. So. I know you might be down two nothing already. You don't even know. Um, or I could be down two nothing. All right, Gilbert Burns, Neil Magny. I mean, I know the UFC is real cheap when it like, flies guys out there, but I think if they put Neil Magny and coach to fly to Brazil while he's carrying around those giant bowling balls he calls testicles for trying to call out Gilbert Burns, seems a bit rude, okay? Seems a bit rude, because you do not call out Gilbert Burns. <laughs> or I guess, my Mark, you guys, you have to. Like, it's time to make a move, right? Like, because Neil is, mm-hmm. what, 36 years old? How old is Neil? 35 years old. I mean, you got to call for, to fight big dude. I mean, he, you know, he bounced back from the Shaft Cat fight to put away uh, Daniel Rodriguez. Like, ask for another guy, right? Like, here you go. Give me, give me Gilbert Burns. Nobody else wants him because you shouldn't. Um, I got Gilbert Burns. I love Neil Magny. You guys on this podcast know how much I love Neil Magny. Um, but yeah, I don't like this fight for him. I don't like. I don't really pick against Gilbert Burns unless I really have to. He does not lose a lot of fights. Um, I think the last time we saw Gilbert, has he fought since the Camzat fight? That was it. No, that was the last one, yeah. Nine-month layoff for him. Not fighting as often as I like with Gilbert, man. Um, but I got I got, uh, I got, got Gilbert getting it done here. Mike, who do you got? Uh, I have a feeling we are going to be sweeping this one. I have Gilbert Burns as well. Okay, Marcus? Yep, same. Confirm. Right on. Um, another tough match. Another real bit of a one-sided matchup, at least in terms of the other odd micro- odds makers view it. Um, Lauren Murphy. Just... A super tough person with I've, I've not, no one has such a UFC career based entirely on toughness as much as Lee, Lauren Murphy, I think, because I'm not sure she's good at anything. I mean, I try to mean that in the nicest way possible, but she's just out toughs people. It feels like taking on Miss Farm Girl Strength herself, Jessica Andrade. Um, Jessica's coming in as nearly a minus 500 favorite to uh, rent about plus 400 ish for Lauren Murphy, depending on which book you look at, between 350 and 400, and between 490 and 530 for them. Um, Jessica Andrade, 
Last fight was ba, 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 ba. her last fight was her taking out Amanda Lemos with our submission of the year, at least for me. Did we all do this? Did it was that a submission of the year across the board? The standing arm triangle? Mm, I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I'll try to I'll try to look yeah, that up while we're going. But I think I think uh I think it might have been. Which is, you know, that's the last fight. Lauren Murphy, last time we saw her, she beat Misha Tate. Um which I remember really enjoying that she won. Not so much the fight itself. Um, yeah, betting odds are wide. I got I got Jessica Andrade. I just think she's just too skilled for Lauren. You know, Lauren's big though. I think for this weight class, I might give her something. But I got I got Andrade. Mark. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I do think there's a reality here where I mean, like you said, Lauren Murphy very tough. If she can kind of survive the the berserk blitz that you know Jessica might put on her in the first two rounds and can take it to the third, I could see her beating Jessica, you know, an exhausted Jessica. But it being three rounds, I do think like it's not long. If it was five round fight, maybe I think Lauren can pull something off in those later rounds because I do think her conditioning might be a little bit be better than uh, Jessica. But I do think Jessica's just a little bit more polished, um, a little sharper, uh, especially in the stand up and striking. And we'll probably be able to get the win that way. So, yeah, I'm with you. Mike. This is definitely going on the Mike Sanchez parlay this weekend for Jessica Andrash. The last two fights we mentioned are going on the Bobby parlay. Let me tell you. I mean, we might have to avoid the whole rest of the main card of the Bobby parlay, though, to be honest. It, uh, yeah. Um, opening the main card, Paul Craig and... Johnny Walker. Last time we saw Paul Craig, um, he lost to Vulcan Ozdemir. And I definitely picked him to win that fight. Mm -hmm. He was coming off of a stretch where he was unbeaten in six straight fights. Uh, one draw in there. Um, but five wins. All of them finishes, because that's what Paul do. Um, Johnny Walker, last time we saw him, he got thrown out of the arena. Back after he beat, he beat Yon Ikutalaba. Um, in the first round, um, his first fight, I think, as a member of, of SBG, or maybe it's not. Now he's been on SB with SBG for a couple of years. Um, he snapped, uh, well, he didn't snap. He slapped a two-fight losing streak when he with that win over Yon Kutilaba. Uh, Paul Craig's a slight favorite in this one. It's just, I think we all, I don't know, picking Johnny Walker to win fights is, I know, I got, I got Paul Craig. I, I don't care. I'm fine. I'll be wrong again if I have to. It's just Johnny Walker's. I don't know what's happening there. You can't tell from fight to fight where that guy is, you know, mentally or anything. So I'll take I'll take Paul Craig getting it done there. Mike, who do you got? What was John? What's Johnny Walker's record been? Not great. Uh, Bad would be the word. Bad. <laughs> That's why I went back to Paul Craig. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> Yeah, this is a, yeah, this is a tough like one. I mean, he 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 lost to Jamal Hill in his second to last fight, uh, who's now fighting for the title. Lost to Tiago Santos. That is Tiago Santos. No, no that, shame that, that, in that. No, this is Tiago Santos now. Is who he lost to? He didn't. He didn't lose I to pre injury. That. Yeah, I love. We, look, I love Tiago Santos, but a part of him left when he tore every ligament in the knee. <laughs> Uh, he came back and had a good performance against Jan, but uh, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna join you on the not trusting Johnny Walker train and go with Paul Craig. Marcus, do you trust Johnny Walker? Yeah, I trust Johnny Walker. 
more so I do feel like with a better team around him, I think you can look at uh, Paul Craig's last fight, and there's a very clear blueprint on how to beat this guy. If you don't engage with him on the ground, he will just start pulling guard. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any judge, old criteria or not, who's going to want to give the fighter that is going on his butt and telling the other guy to, to get down on his butt with him is going to win that fight. So I think Johnny Walker's path to victory is like, just mind your P's and Q standing up, use the, use the jab, use the straight. Paul Craig is not a knockout artist. I mean, he could, he can crack, he can throw and he will, you know, when he gets desperate, he'll start throwing a little harder, but more often than not, he's going to throw a couple, try to get in a clinch and pull you into, you know, into his guard. Unless Paul Craig has made some big adjustments. And I think his last fight, hopefully he did because he needs to realize like these guys aren't just going to engage with you on the ground. Like they're not that dumb. So you need to entice them a little bit. So, but at the same time, Bob, just to your point, Johnny Walker is kind of like, it's hard to tame that beast inside of him. And one thing that Paul Craig does really well is he'll eat a shot. He'll get hit with something, you know, not insignificant. And then he'll drop down in a enraged, you know, Johnny Walker might think he has him hurt and try to go in the finish and could get caught with a submission. I think if he's smart and just plays it cool and just says like, nah, this fight, this is a kickboxing match, dog. I'm not going down. I'm not hitting you on the ground. I think he can win this fight, but we'll see. I think you calling him part of it, being a part of a good team was the only part I was surprised with what you just said because I mean I, I'm <laughs> I not mean, saying it's a bad it's team but uh we we do this you said the same but like our, I mean you you questioned fucking the one in Australia and they got champions this guy had one I'm guy. not I'm not even I'm not even trying to say like they're a good team necessarily but like it seems it's to be team. that he knows he needs coaching and if he follows the most basic instructions I think even a you know, like mediocre coach can look at what Paul Craig's last fight and be like, this dude drew the drop, the the blueprints for you. You crack him when he's standing up, when he falls to his butt, you don't go down, kick him in the legs a few times, yeah. get those stats, those points that you're landing more strikes. The judges will give you the nod. It's not going to be crowd pleasing. And that's another factor is like in Brazil, he's all hyped up. Oh, fuck, is it he going to be Brazil. okay? <laughs> is he going to be okay having a boring fight and not doing something crazy that could lead to his demise? I don't know. These are all, um, you know, things that could happen. But I think just on a technical level, if he just avoids the ground, he's going to eat Paul Craig up. So we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. Mike, I forgot this fight's in Brazil. Would you like to alter your pick? No. Okay. Fair enough. Um, all right. That's it for UFC 283 that we're going to pick. Um, a couple interesting fights from the undercard. No, they're not. Never mind. Um how are you gonna have four dudes without Wikipedia pages on ES on ABC? How are you are gonna they on do AB are they on ABC? I don't know if they always say they're on ABC slash ESPN, but it's Saturday and there's no college football. So I'm gonna say yes. So they're just kind of filling time, but you're also answering your own question there, Bobby, in that there's no college football. I don't think there's any NFL games. Um, yeah, there are. So it's oh oh. There are actually. Uh, that, there, is that why? I think that's why then, because with the NFL, definitely it's like we're not going to even bother trying to fight this. Like, y'all got it, but we just got to give these guys some fights. Um, the most interesting thing for me is that uh, T Rex is on the undercard there, Terrence McKinney. I'm a big Terrence McKinney fan. Um, he bounced back good from that Drew Dober loss. Drew Dober's on a tear, man. Um, but he's looked good so far in the UFC. He really wants the patty fight. 
think they should give it to him, quite frankly. Because all the other names, which you can bet on who's Patty's next opponent is, Mike. Um, and all, and I just want to say, me saying Clay Guida, right there on that list, means it's on the table. You should take Clay Guida. Paul, Patty should take Clay Guida. That is the one Clay to take. Clay Guida, take his ass down. Oh, it'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. Um, the undercard's very weak on this card. So, but it's got like a lot of fights where you know one guy. Like, hey, Nicholas Dalby's there. Oh, hey, Abdul Rachmanov is there. Oh, you know, Tiago Moises. Just every Brazilian on the roster they ought to fight to is on this card, guys. That's what's happening. So, if you guys are curious if Little Nog retired, he did. He's, he would have been on this card if he if he didn't. All right. Um, stuff we like. Okay. Does anybody have yeah, anything yeah. to talk about besides Last of Us? We should get that out of the way first. Um, well, this is more for Bobby. If you don't have it just kind of on in the background, it is the probably, oh, I know. possibly the last 10 minutes of uh, Tom Brady's career. Oh, I don't think that's happening. You don't think so? I mean, look, he's not going out like this. I, I guess, I guess also he did his, his love life and his marriage did fall apart for the love of the game. So he better at least play another season, right? Is that how we're going? With I think he's going to the Raiders, just personally. I think that's what's happening. And I also... You know, he'll look, he look good in jet green. I would like to uh, w invite that. Welcome the Cowboys. Uh, preemptive. Right now, I'll welcome the Cowboys to the Bay Area, where uh, our MAGA-loving defensive lineman is going to suplex your overrated quarterback into the fifth row. So, granted, I'm worried about your MAGA-loving lineman uh, suplexing our rookie quarterback into the fifth row, but we'll see how that goes. So, yeah, Micah's also MAGA-loving, Mike. You know that, right? Really? Yeah. 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 And I'll say this right now. Nick Bosa didn't say anything since he was 17 years old. So you tell me who's the one I'm more disappointed in. Micah said it like three months ago. <laughs> anyway, um, stuff we like. Um, you had that. About what? That I'm losing money, basically? That's what's happening now with the Cowboys and the Buccaneers. My parlay fell apart. Um, I got... What did I watch? I watched a lot of football, man. It's been a good for a good round, man. The only um so been two one-sided games, right? The Niner game was pretty one-sided, but that was after like the first half was close. And this game has been one-sided the entire time. Besides that, the Bengals and Ravens was a good game. Um the Chargers can now happily fire their coach without consequence. Uh well, technically there were two blowouts in that same game. Like the first half of the Chargers Jags game was a blowout for for the Chargers. Then the second half, the Jags just blew out the Chargers. Dude, I'm excited to see how what episode, what kind of episode fucking Tony Khan wrote this week, just wired off of whatever he does to stay wired. You know what the internet jokes are. Um at 2 a.m. writing dynamite off of a Jaguars win, just buzzing. Ooh, he might ask somebody to do a 450 off the of top of a ladder. You don't know. It might be wild. <laughs> I mean, I mean, poor Anna Jay already got power bombed like right onto the ground. Oh, yeah. People can shut the fuck up, man. People make mistakes. They really gave everything they had in that match. And, like, people are shitting on her. And, like, wait, wait, wait. How are they shitting on Anna Jay for that Nightingale well, no, they, girl botching? Okay, it? first, okay, let's not disrespect my girl Willow entirely. She made a mistake, too. No, they couldn't see. Honestly, someone should have said, maybe we need a second table. That type of move needs two tables. Marcus, one girl had the other girl in the powerbomb. 
and she couldn't see because mm-hmm. her face is blocked. And she tried to jump off the stage. And mm. the girl who was doing the powerbombing did correctly protected her opponent by landing on the table with her ass. But okay. when she dropped her, the girl just kind of fell on the ground. Like, I'm gonna have to look. I'm gonna have to actually look at this spot. No, she landed ass first in the table. Like I, that part was correct. It's just they needed a second table. Anyway, um, I don't really got anything this week. I watched football and it was great. I had a really good time. I was having a better time before I my parlay fell apart during this entire game. Besides that, uh, Last of Us was great, but we'll talk about that in a second. Marcus, you got anything this week? Uh, yeah, just a couple things I would mention. Um, this coming Friday, the second season of Vox Machina is coming out. Um, I really enjoyed it, you know, as watching Critical Role and stuff. Uh, it was Oof. very interesting when they f- announced announced the first season, um, and then it got picked up by uh, Amazon Prime. And this second season turned around really fast, which was kind of cool. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I did catch the first two uh, episodes of Velma which I guess on the internet has been a hot button issue with everyone just being all kinds of mad at it. Um, it's fine. Um, I don't think there, it's definitely trying hard. It's definitely like a little too self-aware. And I, I think that it's those two things. Like there are some jokes that I feel are a little try hard that don't really land. And it is being kind of meta about like, you know, with some of the, you know, winking at the audience, but I do think like there is some legitimately funny bits. Um, but I, I I feel like some criticism is somewhat fair. It does seem like a very a very different take on Scooby-Doo and those characters. Like n- not not even so much that they like change some of the nationalities of some of the characters. That's like the most minuscule thing that I think is pissing off like most people. It's just like the portrayal of all of them, like besides Scooby, like none of them are super like um relatable or likable. Like everyone's kind of an asshole. Like Fred's an asshole. Velma's an so, asshole. The only one that's relatable is the talking Great Dane. Oh, did I say Scooby? I meant Shaggy. Sorry. Oh. Scooby's oh. not even in the show yet. <laughs> Will he show up in the end? I don't know. But so far, there are no dogs. Um. So yeah, Shaggy is like the only kind of like likable character because he's kind of, I mean, one not in it a lot um and he is kind of like he likes velma and she doesn't really reciprocate his feelings but like he just seems like a decent person overall and they're also playing up like oh he's really anti-drugs and you know he's just gonna like get high and be like oh man i was wrong the whole time now i'm eating dog food um but overall like i enjoyed watching the show i laughed i had a good time i'll watch more of them um i i won't say it's like a great show especially when it comes to like adult animation i think it is kind of leaning on like some gore i mean the mystery she's trying to solve like high school students like in her grid are getting murdered with their like heads chopped off and their brains taken out. And it's like the, the Scooby-Doo has never had to deal with this stuff. It was mostly like people trying to like lower uh, residential values yeah. and shit. Like this is Dude, cold the, fucking murder. The one, the criticism I heard was that this didn't have to be Scooby-Doo. Like you, it's almost like this like they wanted to like they shoehorn the idea of it being scooby-doo into like this show like this not these characters are very different from who they are in the card i never watched the show yet but it seemed like they're just yeah. like you could have made this show about this girl and it wouldn't have been about like it could not be scooby-doo necessarily but i also feel like the the criticism of like oh they had to make it with an existing property to get people kind of like interested i think is also right like, no no i, I mean that's I why that's clearly why they just... did it they clearly did it to get yeah like, but i think people are just like well what was like it's like, what was it, Mario 2? 
where they just had a whole ass game and then they just made it about Mario at the end there. Like, wasn't that or something? Like, the game wasn't about to be super. No, they had a different Mario. game. And yeah. They, they just flapped Mario. Yeah, on just to top sell it. it. Like, I think they, they, people are saying they called this thing Scooby Doo just to sell it. They made it Velma just to sell it. Like, this well, person had yeah, a script. I mean, they, they called it Velma. They don't. But, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. they, like, they pretty much just added a certain IP on to make sure people watched, basically. Yeah. And, and honestly, like, I, I mean, I don't think that's unfair, but I think, like, whoever made that call, probably a good call. If this was just, like, like Mindy, because I know Mindy plays the voice or something. If this was just like Jessica or something, and it was just like, oh, it's like about a murder mystery in a high school. Like, I don't think it would nearly have the appeal, but because it is like, it's supposed to be Velma's origin stories or whatever. It does make, that's a little bit more of a hook to get you in. At the end of the day, once I started watching, I was like, I enjoyed this. Like it wasn't, I kind of had higher expectations for it that it didn't really hit. But I still enjoyed watching the two episodes. Like I said, I'm going to continue watching the entire season. If they pick up a second season, I'll probably watch that too. But yeah, it's not like you could skip this and you're not really missing much. But I found it enjoyable at the very least. Mike, you watch by the it? Way, by the way, the game that was remade for Mario Brothers 2 was Yume Kojo Doki Doki Panic. Mike, did you watch the show? Uh, yeah, uh, Last of Us. I don't know if... No, no, uh, no. Do you watch Velma, I meant? No. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not watching Velma. Did you see where this man has drawn the line, Mark? This is where the line is drawn because he'll watch literally anything else. Well, I don't think Mike watching the power. Mike watching the White Power Slap League is currently running as a minus one fifty favorite right now. It's it's not it's not because I hate Mindy Kaling or don't think Velma deserves her own show. I just haven't consistently watched a Scooby-Doo show since What's New Scooby-Doo when I was a kid. Yeah, I was going to ask. No, were we really calling for no, an no origin story on a TV show for children who nobody gives, like, no one gave two shits about an origin Like, what, were we calling for an origin story for that? I don't know. Whatever. People like it. Some people don't. It's a TV show. We'll all survive. So you want, it, doesn't you require, want it doesn't require this level of rage. You want a good origin story on the the mystery gang? Watch Scoob. I heard Scoob was a very good movie with the with the Scooby gang being little kids. All right. Yeah, it, it's a it's a massive pivot too. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. Like every other property of Scooby Doo has been aimed towards kids, and this is aimed towards. I mean, I even think like younger adults than us. Like, yeah. and it does kind of feel weird. Like, are they even have any like attachment to that IP at all? I really don't. Dude, Scooby Doo WrestleMania Mystery is still there for you to watch, everybody. Okay. Scooby Doo WrestleMania sure. Mystery. It's got John Cena. It's got Triple H, I think. It's at least got John Cena. I know that much. It's got age. It's got the Triple H. It's got the Miz. It's right there for you, man. That's your connection to adult animation. Um, Last of Us. You guys both played the game. I did not. Um, I don't think I should lead this conversation. So, one of you do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to you, Mark. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've I'm a big fan of the series. I'm a big fan of the developer. Um, I was anticipating The Last of Us when it came out in 2013. I rebought it in 2014 when it came out on the PS4. I did not buy the recent remake of it because I kind of got my fill at that point. Um, but it's a very impactful story. You know, I, I do feel Naughty Dog in general has really put more of an emphasis on character building and narrative than a lot of other developers do. That's really what drives you through these games. And The Last of Us, while very kind of grim and dark, it has been their most successful IP. And I think the one that 
fans have gravitated to, and particularly part one. I, a lot of people didn't like part two in the direction it took. I thought it was fantastic. Um, but that all being said, you know, adapting it to a television show could be difficult. A lot of properties, video game properties, have been tried to go live action, and for the vast majority of them, they fail spectacularly. And I think a lot of the time it's because when they're remaking these properties, whoever's in charge doesn't want to follow what the game is. They want to make like this is the blueprint of what this film or TV show is going to be about. But we're going to change it drastically. It's gonna, I'm going to make I'm going to make it my own kind of. And I think a lot of people that like the games don't necessarily want to see that. They want to see the game envisioned in live action. And I do feel at that same time, you do have to change a few things here and there. I think it is, it does become a little bit boring if they play it too safe. And it's like, well, I played the game. I'm going to know every single beat that's on the show and what's going to happen next exactly. And I think this first episode is a good example of that, where it does closely follow uh, what happens in the game. But they added extra scenes to kind of maximize some of the characters that didn't get a lot of time in the game. Um, but other than that, they are staying fairly true. There are some moments that are kind of surprising. I think some of them work pretty good. I think some of them don't work good. I don't know if we want to get like into the first episode super deep or we want to do like a whole season recap, like we've done with a lot of other shows, but I will say one thing that I think the show does very well and is kind of the crux. And we were, I was talking this, uh, with Mike before the show today, there are two scenes in both games that I think really, and in, in kind of build if you're going to enjoy this show if you can kind of start relating with the characters or feeling for them or just get connected to them in some way and in the first game it's with joel and his daughter uh sarah and her dying in the beginning of the outbreak right and i think the game it's one when the last of us came out that opening scene is probably one of and it might still be one of the best cinematics i've ever seen in any game in about a 15 20 minute span you're introduced to this uh, character. She's a daughter of the main character. And by the end of the scene where she dies, like you feel an emotional impact. And if you don't, the game falters. Like, and if you don't feel that, the game kind of falls flat. And to your point, um, the things they had to change because in the game, um, you start off POV as the daughter. Mm-hmm. And you're going through the beginning of the pandemic essentially as the daughter. So mm-hmm. even though maybe it's 10 minutes of uh you know like gameplay you do get that connection right yeah I think uh, that's because a great... because jarringly you are now no longer the daughter daughter is dead whereas in the show um it goes what maybe the first 25 minutes yeah 20 right? 30 minutes of yeah 20 30 minutes uh they added more things where like you see her actually like getting her dad her gift and her taking care or being at the neighbor's house, and you get more screen time with Sarah. Um, and it was necessary, so that way mm-hmm. you do feel that emotional rip. Because, you know, they, they're also kind of playing on the beats, like, all right, let's make her as adorable and, like, you know, loving as possible, so that way when we fucking kill her, you know, like, you guys really hate it. Yeah, no, I think that, that that's a great point, Mike. And I think that's something that when they're making this adaptation, they are thinking about like, okay, there are certain points in the game we can't replicate in a live action movie or film, something where you're passively kind of interacting with it because you do get to play as Sarah in the game. And it is like things are kind of scary and spooky when you play as her because you wake up in the middle of the night and it's dark and you don't know where your dad is. 
and it's kind of creepy and you get to walk in that character's shoes and in the in the show you don't get to do that so to supplement that and to make that scene where she dies still have that same impact you get a lot more time with her and you do get to see her with the with the neighbors and you do and also a lot of foreshadowing too it's not just like the first 25 minutes is just like oh let's hang out with this little girl while she runs errands there's a lot of foreshadowing that like something's going on she's kind of aware like there was a news thing in the morning she's hearing planes and stuff and she's asking people about like oh is there something going on that's weird and then i think one of the probably the only like kind of spooky moment in the show is she's looking at like the neighbor's dvd collection you see this old grandma lady who's kind of like basically paralyzed and she starts twitching and making like she's not she's in the background she's not even focused on but you can see her making like weird yeah. mouth, uh, mouth movements and stuff and it's just kind of creepy and then you know and then how that all plays out, how the pandemic stuff plays out. Some of it is very different from the game where like the neighbors do kind of attack um, the Millers, Joel, uh, Sarah and Joel, but it plays out completely different. At this point, you know who the, those characters are that are attacking you. It does make that scene more stressful and real. Um, and then when they're driving away, it's very much like the game. They do a lot of the same beats the game does, and they also kind of change some stuff there. So I, I appreciate a lot of that stuff where it's like, we're very much staying close to the core of what this game is and how the narrative works, but we're, we are going to, you know, kind of build up the scenes that need to be built up a little bit because we don't have that interactivity. Um, and then really my only criticism of this whole first episode was the crux of the game and kind of like the whole mission you're going on is they're smuggling um, Ellie, who is kind of becomes the second main character to Joel um, out of the city and they're doing that because she's immune, right? And as a player of the show or a player of the game, you kind of know that's like leading up to that. You know that she's immune and that's kind of why it's so important. But in the show, it does get, it's at the very end of the first episode and it kind of does get brushed off very quickly where it's like they have this encounter with like a security guard outside of the gate and then Ellie stabs him and then Joel ends up killing him and they're kind of figuring out like, oh, why'd you do that? And it's like, oh, I'm immune. And then and, it quickly goes on. And that's where, uh, sorry, go ahead, Bob. I was going to say, didn't when what's her name talked to her, Marlene was talking to her. They were kind of, mm -hmm. they were talked about it there too a bit. I mean, they didn't say it explicitly, but that was where they were also like. No, but it, it was like, I do agree with Mark. It was a little rushed. You even, it's even a little off screen that Ellie mentions it to, uh, to, to Tess. They're like, oh, I'm immune. I'm immune. And the camera, I think it had, it, it's panned on, um, on Joel's character and, I agree with you, Mark, in that while I understand the difference, how they had to make it different in that the cordyceps is in airborne mm -hmm. uh, because you can't have your actors in mass. Uh, Pedro was not time. having that again. I'm pretty He's sure like, Pedro no Pascal was like, fuck that. I already got to be in a mask for Mandalorian. No, I don't want this. But when you're playing the game, before you even find out about Ellie, you have to go put on your gas mask like what two or three times um mm -hmm. so like you are already aware like oh like shit is serious here you know like you can get infected for basically you know any scratch or breathing any spores so it's not in 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 the show it's not beat over your head um you know that yeah you can get infected at any time um whereas in in the in in the video game it is yeah and that's really my only criticism but um yeah overall like what a fantastic um adaptation 
Uh, it did. It did remind me a lot of the first episode of The Walking Dead, which I think did the exact same thing where they just like I thought the first episode of The Walking Dead. I'm over the fucking moon. I was a huge comic book fan. It was one of my favorite comics. And I was like, man, this episode one was like panel for panel, like so accurate with it. And then they just they, they added some extra scenes with the neighbor and stuff. And then I watched episode two and it's like, oh, here's a bunch of fucking new characters and shit. It quickly went off the rails and I kind of, I did Peter out of that one, but I do feel like this show is going to be a lot more um, true to the game. And I do feel a lot of that is because Neil Druckmann, who was the director of the last of Us series is an executive producer. And when they first announced this, sh- the show and they said like he was going to be heavily involved. I was like, okay, I-, I trust this guy. You know, a lot of people kind of think like, you know, he's a little too big for his bridges or he thinks his uh, shit don't stink. But like, I've been a huge fan of his games. I've really liked what he did with part two. And I think he's showing like, this is a great way to adapt the video game. Like it's staying true to what it is. It's adding new things. Scenes don't always play out how you want. Like, I, and this is my last example, because we're already going super long. Um, like when they're kind of trying to escape the first day of the pandemic, you know, they kind of all get kind of knocked silly because there's a car accident. And in this scene, they're driving away and they almost get hit by the car. So someone who's played the game is like, oh, they're going to hit get hit by the car. This is exact same way it happens in the game. And they don't get hit. And you're like, oh, okay. They kind of changed that. What happens might be freaking silly or a giant plane crashes <laughs> into the street they were on and causes a big uh, kerfuffle. But it's those little things that kind of keep you on your toes. Like as someone that played the game and, and really knows the ins, ins and outs of like the story beats, it's like, oh, I kind of. I kind of know what's going to happen next, but they do kind of throw curveballs to kind of be like, oh, it, we're kind of getting to the same spot, but we're taking a slightly different path, which I, I think is cool. I, um, I think they we chose like this. I don't think they expect people to go in totally dry, like in cold, without knowing anything. Yeah. I just don't think that's, I think, because like, I mean, the number of like articles I saw, and that might be because Time Warner discovery hbo owns half of media mm-hmm. you know, half the disney doesn't own about like oh this is in reference to this this is in reference to, like they really want you to like immediately buy into the every like the lore and every the story and everything mm-hmm. on a level that like they really want to like they're, they're trying to game of thrones this thing man like be like you know is this this and this is that that and that they want you to like maybe seek out like hey man we got this official podcast to go after we got this and that like they really like you know, the fucking thing ends, the episode ends, and th- like less than a minute later, they're already like, well, this is how we made this uh, the scene about how they're immune to this or that happen. And, you know, they really, I don't know. I, it feels like, I know what you're saying, and I think if it was like a normal show, I mean, normal show, but like this type of HBO show where it's like an event show like that, it yeah. feels like, and it's, com- it's coming based on source material. Um. Like I looked up some I knew I knew very rudimentary. I just knew that you're this guy and like he's taking this girl. And I looked up real quickly, what's this game about? And it was just like, oh, this guy's trying to do this. He's trying I mean, at this point, this is I mean, this is not spoiling anything you've said already, but like this guy's tasked with transporting this girl who's immune from this virus that's or this thing that's yeah. fucking everybody up. And I'm like, okay. And I don't that was yeah, all I, had I don't think that's in. yeah, I think that's fairly just. I think yeah. one, HBO knows that this is a big property. <laughs> that people are very passionate about. 
So they're going to have a lot of eyes on episode one, right? And if they can succeed there, they can potentially have a very successful show because if you get the fan, I think this is something a lot of other properties miss. If you get the fans on board, they will be very vocal online about how good something is or how faithful it is. And people that aren't familiar with it might be like, oh, I heard this show is really popular. Um, to counteract your, your point, though, Bob, I do think they, they still are accounting for people who don't know what it's about at all. And oh, I yeah. think that's like the very first scene is like, oh, it's the 1960s, and we're literally going to have an interview with two scientists where this one dude's going to basically explain what's going to happen in the show, like what kind of virus that it is, because that the mummy. does not happen. I remember that guy. He was from The Mummy. Yeah, there, there's one guy from The Mummy. He was the brother um, then, from The Mummy. I remember yeah, it. I liked him. And then Big Head from Veep. You know, yeah. he's on the HBO contract. <laughs> but I, that, that part was important, because I was like, well, I know that you know it's about fungus, and the fungus you know controls the, the ant's brains, and that was something that was like, talked about in marketing before the game even came out. Cause I don't think the game itself did a super great job kind of explaining what the hell the thing is. So I do think it's very, it was very important for them to be like, okay, up front, we're going to kind of get you on board about like what is happening, what the pandemic is about. And that scene I thought was very good. And you can, I, I haven't seen. I, I think they also did it to be like, Hey man, we're not trying to, we're not doing a COVID show. This is its own thing. And like, it's about, I think that yeah. was important for that too. Cause I think some people, a bunch of, e Right-wing schmucks would be like, oh, yeah. about COVID, you can't talk, talk about COVID. You know, that type of but thing. But the scene itself, I thought, was very impactful, right? It's very interesting. They have these two scientists talking about, you know, deadly diseases. And the one guy's talking about, you know, fungus. And everyone kind of laughs at him like, oh, that's kind of silly. And then when he explains it, like, they did a good job capturing this kind of tension in the room that people were kind of like, yeah, what if this does happen? This does seem very serious that maybe we should be concerned about. Overall, I, I think the show is just episode one has been fantastic. I, I hope they can keep up. Um, has has a, this has kind a conservative of website complained that, uh, that this show is saying that global warming is going to lead to a mushroom takeover <laughs> I, of the world? Because that's yeah, the second that the second they talk those. about the temperature raising, I'm like, oh, they're going to complain about that. Yeah, someone's going to complain but about that. Last thing I, I do want to leave with is I'm very excited to see Nick Offerman as oh, I'm totally Bill. forgetting his name, Bill. Um, reviews have come out. They came out the day after we did the podcast last week. They were very positive across the board, and they really? did. I saw yeah, some, I, the, the ones, ones I, I saw were positive. Wait, how much of the show did they release to reviewers? Well, I think for people reviewing it, they saw the whole thing. Oh, the whole entire season? I thought it was going to be a couple episodes. They did the whole thing? Yeah, that, that was that was my understanding. And they said that Nick Offerman does a great job with Bill. And I think Bill is one of those characters that didn't get a lot of time in the game. He got a good amount of time. He was in a good section. It was a very interesting it, section. But he had some personality stuff I thought was It looks like they're expanding Bill's part as well. They right. actually show him with... Uh, Whatever the his name of partner his is. Frank, yeah. maybe? Yeah. And I'm interested to see that because that was a very that was a very cryptic thing in the game where you kind of get right at the end of his section. It was like, oh, his his partner killed himself, and Bill was like angry and like disappointed. And like you can tell there was there was more going on. And you find some notes to 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 kind of learn they're romantically inclined, kind of. And Bill's trying to keep everyone at arm's length, but he did let somebody in and they ended up killing themselves. It was kind of dramatic and, and difficult, but, but yeah, I'm really excited about, you know, I thought this was a great first episode. I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Yeah. I really liked it. I don't really know anything. And I really liked it. I think I, first thing I asked you was like that scene where she's looking at the back of the truck, back of the back of the car. That was straight out of the video game, right? You're like, yeah. Oh yeah. That yeah. was, that was, they a shot nod the to that, shit yeah. out of that. That was incredible. So who do you play one, as in the game? Just out of curiosity. Sorry, Mike. You play as Joel. Uh, Joel. So that angle of Ellie looking out the window, that would be Joel was watching. Well, Ellie. that was Sarah. Sarah. Oh, Sarah. Sarah. Of the game, you do play as her. Ah. Yeah, you start the game playing as her for a little bit. 
Oh, so it's kind of. Yeah, like I would a, recommend it. I mean, if 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 you do end up watching the show, I, Bob, and you're like, oh, I might be interested in playing the game. Like they do have a new PS5 version of the original. Um, yeah, of, yeah. of the first. They call it part one now because they uh, made part I, uh, two. And my girlfriend is currently playing it right now as we speak. Yeah, I don't finish it. Yeah, by the time I get, started, I beat that. I mean, dude, I just play. I play video PlayStation Five once a. Sure. I, play, I play for like five hours once a month, and then that's it for like another. Yeah, month. Any game that Ted Lasso's in, Bobby's in. But after that, I, have, it gets I, have, a I barely crazy. played any of that. I've been playing. I don't think I've been playing really Ghost of Ghost of Tsushima. That's it. Not even then, it wasn't a lot of it. So I have just two last things, and both of them are related to age. So in the show in 2003, uh, Joel, Pedro Pascal's character, is just celebrating his 36th birthday, right? Mm. To which I'm like, bullshit, this guy is 36. But then, you know, 20 years later, he's supposed to be playing a 56-year-old. To which, like, god damn, bullshit, he's 56 in this show as well. So... He doesn't play the age in both time frames. Um, and then also, his little brother, um, played by Gabriel Luna, um, character Tommy, yo, my guy looks at least 10 years older than Pedro Pascal. I can't be the only one that thinks that. I'm, uh, I, I, mean, I was I, the ages were. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't hit me that hard. Yeah. I mean, I agree. No, like, I, I was. You might Pedro's, be right. I just didn't. I, yeah. a solid. He's a solid forty-two, and he can't get away from it. Like he didn't seem. He didn't seem that young. He didn't seem that old. But it definitely didn't draw me out of it. Um, and Tommy. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really have a, a, a huge opinion. I mean, he's gonna come. He becomes a more of a focal figure later on. But like, yeah, I didn't. Either way, it didn't really ruffle me. Either way, I, I guess I just really didn't notice. Um, Mike, was that it? That was it. Okay. Um, we are going to be back next week. We're going to see if there's a new channel. Well, there, you'd think there'd be a light heavyweight champion. Yep. You would fucking think. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're going to see if there's one flyweight champion, hopefully. What happens if there's a draw? Does everybody keep their belts? Does he still interim champion? <laughs> I don't know. That crazier things have happened yeah okay not uh, really not really that would be the craziest but yeah i mean sure whatever we'll see what new atrocities people can commit this week too um thank you all so much for uh watching the show this week um i was dr law that was lavender gooms and that was dj mark we'll see y'all next week peace see out ya. see ya that's a great little anecdote uh Fun fact you gave at the before the podcast was that Merle Dandridge is playing Marlene in the show and is voicing in the video game. That's what they said on that little thing about the making of the episode. They talked to her and she's like, I she's like, I lucked out because the show took so long enough to make that I aged into the role, which <laughs> it's pretty cool. But yeah, that was the thing that I was like, oh, I will bring that up on the podcast. So nice tidbit. Peace out, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>